our New Testament reading as we continue our study in Revelation. Our New Testament reading comes from Revelation 15 and 16. We begin reading with 15 verse 1 and read through 16 verse 9. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hand. And they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tabernacle of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth. And harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. And the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse. And every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord, God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch the people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed. They cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him the glory. This is the word of the Lord. As we come to this passage, let's pray and ask the Father to teach us, 
Because one thing's for certain, John Sartell can. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we come as your priest, and we lay our cares and the ones we love before you, our families, our friends in Christ. Our Father, we pray for Janet Kilpatrick this morning, that you will bring healing to her arm. We pray that you'll bless the Claytons, bless Tom especially, and bring healing to his body. Bless Dorothy as she cares for him and he cares for Dorothy. We pray for John and Kaki this morning, Father. Oh, be with them. Draw them close to you. That they would know your comfort. Speak to them as only you're able to speak. Bless Kate and John Morrison. Oh, Father, bring relief to Kate. Comfort her. Father, may she remember the cross. May she remember your great salvation. Our Father, speak to her as only you're able to speak to her. Speak to her soul, Father. Bring comfort and bless John Morrison as he cares for her. Help, her to be an, help him to be an encouragement to Kate. And Father, be a comfort to him. A comfort beyond his imagination. And now as we open your word, I bow before you, Father. We bow before you as a congregation. And you know on my part, Father, this is not empty rhetoric. You know that I know. Father, I think these folks know. That the only way we'll be taught this morning is if you speak to us and you teach us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Oh, Father, these next few minutes, may we hear your voice in our hearts. Speak to us, Father. Change us. Change us. Maybe, maybe some of us for the first time. For the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. How can there be worship and praise for God's judgment? I know it says in your bulletin, for God's holiness and justice, but I want it to be plain. That's what his holiness and justice are. Judgment. Now, let's set this in context. If you would understand Revelation, you must know these four truths about the book. First, the purpose of Revelation is to reveal Jesus, the Son of God and Son of Man, in glory after his ascension. The four Gospels reveal the coming and work of Christ through the incarnation. That's where the four Gospels begin. And those Gospels reveal his person, that he's the Son of God and Son of Man. Those gospels reveal his work, his miracles, proving his deity, his death, his resurrection, his purpose to die for our sins. All of that is revealed in the gospels. The big gospels begin with the incarnation. Where do the gospels end? With the ascension. Revelation begins where the gospel leaves off. The revelation begins 
after the ascension of Jesus into glory. It takes us beyond this earth into glory to reveal Jesus as Son of Man and Son of God in glory. That's the purpose of every page of the book of Revelation. Secondly, Revelation covers the entire period from the ascension to the return of Jesus. Thirdly, it's a book of many characteristics and many themes. First, it's characteristics. It's characterized by symbols and visions and scenes. Its main theme, just as we said, is the revelation of Christ in glory. It's something that we can't see physically. But that theme has many, the theme of revealing Jesus in glory has many sub-themes. There's a sub-theme of worship, doxology, and praise. We've seen it over and over again in Revelation. Then there's the theme of comfort for the people of God. Then there's the theme of judgments and the final judgment. There's the theme of salvation and victory. The theme of suffering and the martyrdom of God's people. There's the theme of the end of the old creation and the beginning of a new creation. And then there's the theme of this great battle between good and evil, between God and Satan, between Satan and the people of God. Fourthly, the book is structured around events that occur in series of seven. After the introduction in Revelation, we have a series of seven letters written by Christ to the seven churches of Asia. These letters are applicable to the church we saw throughout the entire period from the ascension to the return of Christ. The next series of seven is Jesus, the Lamb of God, removing the seven seals from the great scroll. And with each seal that's removed, a new event is revealed and takes place. All these great events take place between the ascension and the return of Christ. After the seven seals, we have the seven trumpets. They're blown by the angels announcing these events. And next, and this is more hidden, next we have seven visions or seven scenes. And those seven visions are about one subject. All seven are about the conflict between God and Satan, between Satan and the people of God. For the last few weeks, we've looked at those seven scenes. This morning, we begin our last series of seven in Revelation. We come to seven angels carrying the seven bowls of God's judgment, the seven bowls of God's wrath. Now, chapter 14 that we finished last week closed with John witnessing through a vision the great harvest that will take place at the culmination of history. What's going to happen at the end of the world? He said there's going to be a great harvest. And we saw Jesus harvest the people of God for glory. And then we saw, and we saw the wicked being harvested and thrown into the winepress of God's wrath. The restraints of God's patience and mercy have been removed with that. The final judgment has arrived. Now, chapters 15 and 16 take up 
at the end of 14, they take up the same subject. These chapters describe the final judgment in greater detail. The vision John observes in chapters 15 and 16 has several different scenes. But the major theme of each scene in this vision is about a final, a last judgment. The subject is introduced in chapter 15, verse 1. Look at it. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing. So yours is, John says, it's, it's awesome. It's a great, amazing, it's powerful. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. This is the last of the series of sevens in Revelation. Seven angels with seven plagues. The scene is in heaven, described as amazing and great. But unlike, unlike the seven seals and seven trumpets, these plagues are the last. They represent the completion of the wrath of God. The fullness of God's judgment and wrath have been restrained up to this point. There have been partial judgments. Remember with the seals and with the trumpets, there's been partial judgments. But with these plagues, God's wrath is unleashed in a way as never before upon the evil in this world. Now, all of that's stated in verse 1. That's what it says. But it's like John is watching this. And then he sees something over to the side. You know, sometimes that happens to us. We're, we're so focused on something, but then we become aware of something that's happening over here, and we say, what is that? Well, that's what happened here. He looks, and he, he sees a great group of people, an orchestra, a choir, worshiping God. Now, the theme there is worship. However, we will see that the theme is also still judgment. Now, usually we think about worship as a praise of God for his blessings of provision. For instance, we come here and, and we're usually not focused on God's judgment. We're focused on how God has provided for us, for family and food and health and friendships and prayer, the coming of Jesus to our lives. But here, in the midst of this worship, where does it occur? This worship is taking place in the midst of the most severe judgments the world has ever seen. There's a lesson to be learned here. The scene's location is in heaven. John sees a glass mingled with fire. Now, the word glass there really should be translated crystal. The sea of crystal mingled with fire. There's a marvelous unity. We've seen this over and over again as Revelation reaches back into the Old Testament. There's a marvelous unity in, ex in extreme detail. When John saw this, John thought, that's a scene right out of Exodus. In Exodus 24 9 and 10, we read this. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement 
of sapphire. Have you ever seen a, a pavement of sapphire, a sea of sapphire? And it says, like the very heaven for clearness was so clear. At the feet of God, they saw sapphire with the perfection of clarity. Well, in Revelation 15, I think John was looking at the same crystalline sea extending from the throne of God. It looked like gleaming, fiery crystal. But beside that sea, as awesome as it was, he saw the saints who had conquered the beast in the image. They had come through the awful tribulation of just the worst persecution. They had been slaughtered by the beast. And yet, what were they? They were singing songs of victory. We read that they were more than conquerors. How were they conquerors? They had been killed. Here they were in glory. All that awful persecution had not destroyed their faith. They were faithful to their confession. Here they were in glory, standing beside this jewel sea, holding musical instruments. They were a great orchestra, of course, singing hymns of victory. Well, what hymns were they singing? They were singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Now, those two are related. The song of Moses had been sung by Israel in Exodus 15. You know the story. When, when they were being chased by the Egyptian army, Pharaoh had changed his mind. He said, go get those slaves and bring them back. And here was the most powerful army in the world chasing this group of slaves. They weren't warriors. They weren't fighters. And they were right up against the Red Sea. And God opened a path through the sea. And they went across. And then when the army tried to follow them, God destroyed that army. They got to the other side. And what did they do? They sang a hymn. It's called the Song of Moses. It's recorded in Exodus 15, verses 1 and 3. Look at it. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he's thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he's become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him. My Father's God, I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. The story of the book of Exodus is a story of salvation. As God redeemed his people, imagine yourself, you'd been slaved all your life. Your parents had been slaves. Your grandparents had been slaves. Cruel slavery. And God came and redeemed his people out of that slavery. But it's not only that. Exodus is not only a story of their salvation, from slavery. It's a story of God weighing the nation of Egypt in the scales of his justice and executing a severe judgment because of their evil and ungodliness. We've said it before. I'm going to keep coming back to it. 
He did not arbitrarily destroy Egypt just to deliver the people. He didn't say, Egypt, I'm sorry to do this to you, but I got to get them out and you're not going to let them go. So I'm sorry about this. No. He had weighed Egypt, Pharaoh, and all of Egypt on the scales of his justice. And he had found them wanting. He had found them wicked and he brought down judgment. That's what happened at the Red Sea. If that does not make, we're a nation, people. We're a nation. We're under God's sovereignty, whether we bow to him or not. And we're not bowing to him now, but we are under his sovereignty. And as sure as I'm standing before you this morning, God will bring judgment on this land. It ought to make us tremble. God's people in Revelation 15, who had been delivered from the awful persecution of the beast, also sang the song of Moses. They reached all the way back. We're going to sing the song of Moses with the saints that have gone before us. And then they sang the song of the Lamb for the salvation that the Lamb had brought through his blood. But look at it. That hymn also praised him, praised God for his righteous judgment, just like the hymn of Moses praised God for his righteous judgment upon Egypt. The hymn here praises God for his righteous acts, for his righteous judgment that fell on the beast and fell on the wickedness. So here it is. Worship in the midst of extreme judgment in the 15th chapter. Here is holy praise that many Christians find hard to grasp. They would say, what's this doing here? I want to stop for a minute and I want to look at their worship. What is the source of their worship? Now hang on with me, please. We're We're looking at these people worship. What's the source of their worship? The source of their worship is their view of God. Look at Revelation 15, 3 and 4. And they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds. Try to find me or I in that. You can't. It's always focused on God, on your deeds. O Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship you, for you are right. It's all about God. People, that is not only the source of their worship. That is the source of our worship. Does our worship sound like that worship by the crystalline sea? Does our worship sound like theirs? I loved your singing this morning. This congregation sings. Does our worship look like theirs? These people in Revelation 5 and Revelation 15, go back to the praise in in Revelation 5 and and in Revelation, they look at the lamb. Now hang with me. A lamb slain 
they always say the blood of the lamb, the blood of the lamb. It's not, it's not a lamb running through the pastures. It's a lamb that has been slain, has been killed. They could look at the lamb on the cross and break out in praise at that gory sight. How could they do that? It was a glorious picture. The greatest picture of love and justice in the entire history of creation. Yes, God's wrath was being poured out on the lamb and they were being saved by it. They had never beheld such love. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The lamb giving himself in sacrifice. We sing of Calvary. We sing of creation. It's our view of God. He's the creator. We sing of his sustaining us. He's done it this week. And we sing of this glorious salvation that we have through the blood of the lamb. That's what we did this morning. That's what we're doing this morning. Well, then the scene changes again. It changes from worship back to judgment. John's focus is returned to the seven angels with the seven bowls. He mentions the angels in verse 1, and then there's the worship, and then he comes back to the angels again. These angels, now this is really important, you all. Hang with me. Look at it. This is powerful. All week long. I was just moved by this, powerfully moved by this, shaken by this. And I hope you'll be shaken by it when you see it. Where do these angels, they don't come from the barracks of an army. No. These angels come from the tabernacle, the heavenly tabernacle. It's translated tent here. Once and for all, in Revelation, where you see tent in the ESV, mark out tent, say Tabernacle. When we think of a tent, those kids, if they had read, the kids have just left here, children have left here. If you had said, use the word tent, that's a pup tent out in the yard. Or it's the tent we go camping in. This was a tabernacle. It was a dwelling of God. Well. I want you to see the solemnity and holiness projected in this scene. Look at it. Revelation 15, 5 through 8. After this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tabernacle of witness in heaven was opened. In other words, he saw the doors open. And out of the sanctuary came seven angels. Now, these angels don't look like me. These are great angels, huge angels. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with their seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chest. And one of the four living creatures gave, remember the four living creatures from Revelation 1 and 4? Well, here they are again. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. You've seen that before in scripture. 
When they built the original tabernacle in the wilderness and they finished it, before anyone entered, God entered first. He came down in his glory and that glory was so overwhelming. Remember, no one could go into the tabernacle. When Solomon finished the temple in Jerusalem, the glory of God came down on that, ta- on that temple and no one could enter the sanctuary because the glory of God was so great. This was a procession, a procession out of the tabernacle. These great angels, think about it, what they were, what they were saying. These great angels processing out and the smoke and the glory of God was there. What is that procession? It is the procession of God's wrath coming from the very house of God about to be poured out on the earth. That's what it is. I told Terry last night, I'd come from going over this one more time. And I said, you might not want to come to church tomorrow morning. And I meant it. I was shaken. And I'm shaken now, and I hope you're shaken. For folks, this is what's coming. This is when we say to the world, repent. This is what's coming. And then the justice and wrath began to be poured out on the bowls, from the bowls on the earth. Look at Revelation 16, 1 and through 4. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped the image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like a blood of a corpse. And every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. Previously, the wrath and judgment of God in the seals and trumpets, remember, it dealt with one-fourth of the earth, dealt with one-half of the earth then later. This is the whole earth. It's the full last measure of God's judgment. These fell on all the earth. That's what the symbolism is saying here. There's a finality to this. This is the wrath of God being poured out on the ungodly. Notice, it's the ungodly. It's those that follow the beast. Now, some Christians, and I hate to say this, it hurts to say it, but even some evangelicals recoil at the justice of God being portrayed in such a way. They want to abbreviate God's justice. How can a God of love do this? They want to abbreviate God's wrath, to moderate his wrath and justice, to make him more acceptable. They don't like this God. Well, God knew that man's inclination would be to try to moderate God's just wrath. He knew people would think like this. So right in the middle of the dispatch of these fiercest of all judgments, We see an angel actually praise God for his wrath. Look at Revelation 16, 5 and 7. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was. For you brought these judgments, and they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, 
Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. They're praising God in worship for his justice. How can a loving God do this? It's because he's holy. That's why. What's the answer here? They keep going back to it. Because you are holy. I want you to, we're going to look very quickly, just a minute or two. We're going to look at the holiness of God. And, and, and the point is made. This judgment is necessary. If this judgment does not take place, God is not holy and he's not just. Look at verse 15, 16, 5. Just are you, O holy one. He's giving the reason. He sees this wrath. And he doesn't say, oh my goodness, God, what are you doing? He's saying, you're just God. You're holy. Because that's, that's the necessity of the judgment. In 15, 4, we read, for you alone are holy. Do we as sinful and calling creatures, think about this for a minute. We've said it before. Do we not, are you sinful? I'm sinful. Are we not sinful? Is the world not sinful? Do we not yearn, even as sinful creatures, do we not yearn for justice? When we observe petty crime, even petty crime, do we not cry for justice? Do we not cry for justice when we see corruption in the highest places go unpunished? Do we not cry for justice when we see robbery and extortion and murder and rape and human trafficking and pedophilia? That's what we as sinful men cry for, justice. You know, what was it Jesus said when talking about prayer? He said, if we being evil, he said, if you being evil, and looked at his apostles. He says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father give good gifts to those who ask him? He was saying, if you know as sinners what it is to give to your children, do you not think I know? Well, apply this to justice. If we in our sin and unholiness yearn for righteous justice in this fallen world, how much more does God yearn for justice in his creation? He yearns for a perfect justice. And that's a fearsome thing. If he's not holy, there is no justice. The source of the justice this, what you read, these bowls being poured out. The source of that justice was God's holiness. The source of the justice that fell on Jesus for our sins. What's the source? The holiness of God. It was because God was holy. He loved his son. Is not this my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased? But his holiness, his holiness demanded that justice be done even when it was his son. Who on earth? Who on earth? If he did that, who on earth? 
expects God to withhold justice from the wickedness in this world. Spoke of the necessity of God's judgment. It's necessary because it's holy. He also speaks of the nature of God's judgment, and we're at the end. What do you mean, the nature of God's justice? Look back at the verse. Just are, just are you, O holy one. And then in verse 6, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. That's what they deserve. We have been programmed in our world to say that punishment, the purpose of justice, we think the purpose of justice is to deter, to say, to keep us, to keep society from committing crimes. It deters crime. We've been programmed to think that. We've been programmed to think that justice, real justice, will bring reform. That's not what this is. In God's view and in his word, justice is a just punishment of sin. The justice that the Lamb suffered for our sin at Calvary was not to deter or reform Jesus. He didn't need reforming. He suffered the punishment of hell for our sins by the justice of God. The justice meted out in Revelation 16 is not to deter or reform. It's too late. It's too late for deterrence. It's too late for reform here. What does God say over and over again from Genesis to Revelation? The soul that sins shall surely die. The wages of sin is death. Immediately after, the angel praises God for his holy justice. John hears another voice in verse 7. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. People, the altar spoke. The altar was the place where the sacrifices are slain. The altar was where the lamb was slain. And the altar spoke. Oh, the altar spoke. Oh, dear folks, remember that before these last bowls of justice and wrath, Jesus, the Lamb of God, on the altar, bore all the plagues, all those bowls were poured out on Jesus. He bore all of God's wrath and judgment at Calvary. And you know what we're going to do now? We're going to join that course at the crystalline sea and we're going to see of our salvation because Jesus took those bowls poured out on himself for our sins our hymn is hymn number 455 written by Charles Wesley we're only going to sing stanzas one three and five stanzas one, three, and five of four and fifty-five, and can it be that I should gain?